see you all, to all be here together, to be able to praise God, to hear from his words. I'd like to give you a really big welcome. Uh, welcome those of you online. I know a good number can't get out to the services, but love to be able to tune in and watch in. We're grateful for all the technical people who make that possible. So welcome to you as well. Uh, we look forward to the, the morning service this morning. We're carrying on through Exodus and uh, Mark's going to be preaching to us later on as we go through that great book. We'll also remind you that we do have evening services here as well. Uh, so many of you come to that at 6.30 and we're starting a new series um, this week on the, some of the thought-provoking sayings of Jesus, especially around happiness and blessedness. We're going to start that off this evening. And just a reminder as well at the start of the year that we, um, we have refreshments after the evening service on second Sundays and fourth Sundays. And uh, we have people get those uh, ready for us. Not too involved, but they get those ready for us. And there's a rotor up for that. And well done to Izzy and Caitlin, who are the first names that are on that list. There are plenty of other gaps. So if you feel you can help serve in that way, put your name up or speak to uh, Rosie Bishop, if you're wondering what's involved. Well, as we come to this morning's theme and this morning's songs, we'll be, we'll be thinking quite a lot about what God has done, remembering what God has done. And that will lead us into our first hymn in a minute, but I want to read a few verses on which it's based. It's based really on Mary's song. So I'll read the first few verses of Mary's song from the Gospel of Luke where she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. Well, shall we then join together in praising God for his greatness as we sing our first song, Tell Out My Soul, The Greatness of the Lord. Yeah. 
shall we pray? Lord, we do want to give voice to the greatness of the Lord as we come in prayer. We thank you for your great kindness to us. Unnumbered blessings give our spirit voice. We forget so quickly all the wonderful things that you provide and all the wonderful things that you have done for us. But we do want to praise you for your goodness and your kindness. Help us to recall these things, be thankful and content. We praise you for the greatness of your character, the infinite Lord God, the mighty one. Lord, we come in praise to you, the God of glory. Help us to understand you better. Help us to worship you in our hearts. Lord, we come because of the greatness of the things that you have done. And we'll be remembering some of those as the service goes on. And your word is full of your great acts. And we pray to recall them and to be affected by them, to praise you for them and to live in the light of them. And we give thanks for the glories of your word, that we have your word, sure, certain, revealing your character, shaping us, blessing us, encouraging us, comforting us. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us as we come under it today, as we have it preached, as we have it read. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, our Bible reading is in Exodus. So we're going through the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. We're on page 55 if you've got a church Bible. And we're in chapter 13. You may remember if you were here, uh, the events of last week, the the Passover, uh, the Great Escape. And uh, this week as we go into chapter 13, we're thinking of some of the ongoing effects and some of the ongoing impact of those events. So, Exodus 13, 1 to 16. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day, in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. If you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come 
your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you us brought us out of Egypt. Well, we look forward to understanding the thrust of that passage as Mark opens it up to us uh, later on. We're going to sing another song now and then afterwards there will be the children's talk so the children can come to the front. And uh, our next song reminds us of the wonderful and amazing theme of God's love in forgiveness. So drink in the truth of this wonderful song as we sing it together. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Front. 
about all of you? Excellent. I just want to talk to you just for a couple of minutes this morning. Now, yesterday, um, we did something, didn't we, in the evening? Anybody can remember what we did yesterday? We had a New Year's party, and you played lots of games, didn't you? But some of them games were team games, weren't they? Yeah? And you got picked into teams, and you, you did lots of team games. Now, I'm wondering, at school, do you play any team games at all? What do you play, Harvey? You play football. Any other games you play teams for, Alice? Netball? Basketball? Any other team games you play? I've got a few up here. I, th I think you've named one or two of them. So rounders, does anyone play rounders at school in a team game? A few of you. And got netball. Lots of you. And then this isn't really a game you play at school. Maybe you do. You play it. Anyone play it? 40-40, British Bulldog, things like that. Well, they're all team games. And the one thing that I always remember at school when we played team games, you always got given two captains and they picked their team. And you'd all line up if you weren't a captain and you'd all be thinking, I really, really, really hope that I get picked first. Do you feel that when you're standing there? I really hope I get picked first. Or I really hope I don't get picked last. Because if usually if you get picked last in a team sport, you seem to think that, well, they don't think I'm very good at football or netball, or rounders, or hockey. They think to yourself, you think to yourself, oh, I'm just not that good. Maybe they don't think I'm strong enough, or quick enough, I'm good enough. And it can make you feel quite sad, can't it? I can remember when I was at school, I used to play football, and I got picked first for football, but cricket, I was hopeless at. I really didn't like the ball being bowled at me really, really quickly. So when I played um, cricket, I used to just try and get out quickly because I didn't want to play it. But then when we had a school event and we had to pick a team, I was always picked last and it made me feel really, really sad. Even though I didn't really want to play it, it always made me feel sad that the person that was picking it was picking other people in front of me. It made me feel really, really sad. But I want to talk to you about something in the Bible now where God chose somebody but it wasn't because he was the biggest or the strongest or the cleverest. And it's a story about David. Who knows who David is in the Bible? You all do. He's a king, isn't he? But before he was a king, God wanted Israel to have a king. And he went to Samuel and he said, Samuel, I want you to choose me a king. So he went out and he came to Jesse, David's father, and he brought in seven of his sons. And they were all big, strong, old, they're probably quick. And each one of them passed by Samuel. And God didn't choose any single one of them to be the king. And then Samuel asked, is there any other sons? And there was one son left. There was David, but he was the youngest. He was the smallest. He probably wasn't the handsomest as his brothers. Yet God chose him to be the king. And what's wonderful is because he chose him to be king because he didn't look at the outside of what he looked like or how big or how strong he was. He looked on the inside and he looked on the heart. I think that's a really, really good message, isn't it? Now, I've got a verse up here, and it's in Timothy, and it says, God saved us and made us his holy people. That was not because of anything we did ourselves, but because of what he wanted and because of his grace. That grace was given, at, given to us through Christ Jesus before time began. Now, I love this verse because before I became a Christian, when I started to think about God, I thought to myself, I'm never going to be good enough for God. He's definitely not going to want to pick me to be in his family. And it's not because I wasn't quick or strong or anything like that. It was because my heart was not right. In front of God, my heart was certainly not right. I knew I'd done lots and lots and lots and lots of really bad and naughty things that was completely against what God wanted. But the amazing thing was, the more I listened to God's word, the more I heard different sermons and spoke to different people about who God and who Jesus was, I understood it didn't even matter about those bad things I'd done. Because God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, into this world because he knew that I couldn't be made clean on my own. And he died on the cross so that I could be saved. And it says here he chose us because of his grace. God's got so much grace for his people. 
And I want you to go away from here today and understand this, that you might not get picked first in your friendship groups or in team sports, and it might make you feel really, really sad. But one person who will always pick you first, no matter what you've done or who you are, is God and Jesus. If you truly put your trust in him, he will always put you first. And I think that's amazing, isn't it? That you can have him. So maybe when you're at school and you don't get picked first and you might be sad and you might feel a bit lonely because of it, guess what? Your friend Jesus Christ will be there right beside you if you talk to him and pray to him. And that's the best, that's the best team to be in, Jesus' team of everyone else's, isn't it? Okay, you can go back to your seats now. Thank you. Thank you. Well, shall we join together again in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as the God who knows everything. And we are amazed at what you know. That you know not only the number of stars, but it says you know them by name. The, the billions of stars and you know their makeup and character and size and all the things that, that we don't know. Nobody knows. Lord, we, we know some things. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we forget, which we did know. But Lord, you are the God who understands everything. The omniscient, all-knowing God. And that makes us stand in awe of you and feel quite small ourselves. And Lord, you know everything about us. You know our outside, and as we've been reminded, you know our inside. You know where we go, and what we do, and what we think. It even says that you know what we're going to say before we say it. And Lord, that's, that's comforting to to a large degree, that you just know us inside out. Others misunderstand us. Others overlook us. Sometimes perhaps we feel left out. But you know everything about us. And you care for your children. And not a hair falls from our head without your knowledge. And we pray to be comforted by these things. We pray for those going through really difficult times, feeling a sense of loss, uh, recovering from operations, going through times of depression or confusion, that they might know that sense of your love and knowledge in a personal way which encourages them. Help us, Lord, not to be hypocrites. Jesus taught so firmly against hypocrisy, and we know that we are prone to try and look better than we are, to put on a good show, to make it seem as though things are good and in order. But Lord, help us to be genuine. Help us to be genuine in our hearts, in our love for you, and what we do for others. Forgive us when we put on a show and we're not really on the inside, what we portray on the outside. Help us to have a special love and concern for you, to be pleasing you, and not to be taken up um, with pleasing others in a way which just is so selfish and proud. Lord, we do pray for the tender hearts. We pray that near the start of the year, a tender heart towards your word. We think of the way in which in the Bible, Josiah was known as a, a person who was tender in his heart and listened to your word. And as perhaps we've started up our Bible reading patterns or dipping into your word, we started to listen to messages, however it is for us, we do pray that through this year we may be receptive to your truth, that uh, we may absorb it, it may shape us, we may think about it. Lord, we do pray for your work in us and around us. We see so... Uh, Little response at times to things which to us are so valuable and true. There seems to be a, 
a sort of lifeless, arid soil around and there seems to be such a slow response to spiritual things. People don't seem too worried about you and their lives. They don't think about the shortness of life and what follows. They seem unmoved by your kindness and your love. But we pray for a change, a softening. We pray for a year of the Lord's favour, a time where there might be your spirit at work in a special way, even in Crowborough, even in Sussex, even in the UK. Lord, in wrath, remember mercy, we pray. And as we think of our own area as well, we think to some of those we're connected with in uh, overseas situations. We pray for Rosie in Papua New Guinea as she settles back to her service there. We pray for her when things are sometimes discouraging, that she may continue to serve you and be helped in what she does. We pray, as it seems, there may be um, a change in her area of service from Rumganay to Port Moresby, and we pray you guide her in that if that's the way forward, so that her last couple of years of service out there are particularly useful and helpful to the church and the spread of the gospel. We pray for the Saywells in the Philippines. We thank you for the church plant that they're involved with and the encouragements they see in it as they seek to form a church there from those who come. We pray that you'd give them energy and guide them and bless them and keep adding to them. And as they feel the long distance from home as a family, we pray that you would comfort them and help them to keep going. And Lord, we pray for James and Rachel and for those we know and love in the uh, LPC church there in Cyprus. Be with them at the start of this year in their service, in their lives. We pray it might be a year which is especially good for the students that come to the congregation there, that they may be built up in truth. We pray for the Turkish-speaking ones who come. We thank you that there's been an increasing amount of them in the last few years, and we pray for a Turkish-speaking church to really be established and growing. And we ask you to give leaders wisdom as they try and balance the, the different groups within their church situation over there. Lord, help us now as we come before uh, your word, as we hear it preached. We pray for understanding, but we also pray for softness, and we pray that you would move our hearts towards you as a result of what we hear. And all this we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we go forward uh, to the message this morning, we will be thinking of our, our life uh, lived for the Lord. And that's very much reflected in this next song that we're going to sing. As morning dawns and day awakes to you, I bring my need. Let's sing this together. <laughs> Oh 
Well, good morning and a warm welcome once again, especially if you're a visitor. Lovely to have you with us this morning. So we're carrying on in Exodus uh, this morning. We're looking at Exodus 13. I won't be delving into every little bit of it, but as John said, hopefully getting the, the thrust out of it for us this morning. Well, some meals are more memorable than others, aren't they? Uh, so, for example, if I said to you, what did you have for dinner a week ago Tuesday, most of you would probably struggle to remember. I expect we were grateful for it at the time. It probably did us good. Uh, but I suspect that it was quickly forgotten and it, it goes into the history books. Um, sometimes it's more memorable. I, I, I reckon that most of you would be able to tell me some experience you've had with a meal or an eating experience. Because there's something about food, isn't there, just sticks in the, in the memory. One of my uh, favourite ever meals, I think this is fair to say, uh, was about 23 years ago. And uh, it was sausages, baked beans and hot chocolate to drink. And the reason it was so special is because it was cooked on an open fire in a friend's field on a really long summer's evening, just as darkness was starting to creep in. And, uh, and when you're young, it was just one of those almost magical experiences that you have that just you remember for, for a long time. I have to agree with Inna Blight, and she knew what she was talking about when she said that food always tastes so much better outside. Sometimes it's the food that, that tastes amazing and that you remember. Sometimes it's the experience around the food as you're eating it that helps you remember it. Well, last week, there was a pretty dramatic meal that happened that would have been very memorable for those who took part in it. They were unlikely to forget it for quite a while. They'd been given very specific instructions about how they were to cook this meal. And in every house had to have exactly the same meal prepared in exactly the same way. And the way they had to eat it was unique. If you were here last week, you might remember that they had to eat it with uh, their staff in their hand, uh, their sandals on their feet, and their belt fastened. It's the equivalent of us having a meal with our coat on, with our shoes on, and wearing a rucksack sort of packed and ready to go. And they had to eat this meal quickly. And throughout all of this meal, there was blood sort of plastered over the doorframe. And it was there to protect the, the firstborn son from dying. Well, it wasn't a particularly relaxing meal. And you can imagine it especially wasn't a relaxing meal for the firstborn son. He probably, if he was old enough, probably would have checked the blood twice to make sure it was definitely on properly, to make sure you could definitely see it. He knew his life was in danger. And then midnight comes. And what did we see last week? There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house, in, uh, there was not a house where someone was not dead. Except in the Israelites' homes. In the Israelites' homes, the firstborn was still breathing because in its place, the lamb had died. There was still a death in that house, but it was the lamb. It wasn't the firstborn. And then after weeks and weeks of build-up that we've had as we've looked through Exodus, weeks of build-up, weeks of setbacks as well, finally, as we saw last week, they are free at last, free to go. And they plundered the Egyptians as they, as they leave. It was a meal and an experience that they were unlikely to ever forget in their lifetimes. But God doesn't just want this experience to be just an event that they remember in their lifetime. He, he wants this to be something that they remember for generations and generations and generations. And in fact, he still wants us to remember it in 2024. That's why we're looking at it this morning. We're going we're to think about it a bit more this morning because it does impact us. And he doesn't just want this to be a dramatic story for the grandkids, just another, another tale to tell them. He wants this to be an event that shapes and transforms their lives and what they're living for. And if we understand it and we understand kind of where this is pointing us this morning, then this has got the power to shape and transform our life too. So let's dive into Exodus 13 to explore some of these things. And firstly, they were told to feast to remember. Feast to remember. So in Exodus 12 last week, we saw that God tells, Mo, um, God tells Moses and Aaron 
This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. That's bread without yeast in it. Now in Exodus 13 verse 3, Moses is now passing that on to the people. So that was God speaking to Moses. Now he passes it on to all the people and he says, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. And then in the next few verses of Exodus 13, they're told that when they get to the promised land, which is why God has brought them out of Egypt, when you get to the promised land, they're to remember to keep this feast. And it's always going to remind them of their escape from Egypt. Now, if you were here last Sunday evening, we looked at Joshua in an unrelated message. And that had actually jumped forward a few decades And in Joshua, you may remember that they've finally got into the promised land after decades of wandering around in the wilderness. They'd finally made it into the promised land. And last week, we thought about Jericho and how God brought the walls down. And so the Israelites were able to defeat it. But what we didn't see is what happened just before that. What What did they do just before that? They get into the promised land and they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Just like they were told to here. They get in there and they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days of unleavened bread. And then on the final day, what did they do? They feasted on the the produce of the land that was flowing with milk and honey. Joshua and Caleb, by that point, were the only two people who were still alive who had experienced the Passover, who had experienced the escape from Egypt. And I suspect that they had spent quite a lot of time telling everyone around them the details of what had happened. I expect most of them knew pretty well what had happened. But Moses explains here that that this is to happen, not just, you know, once or twice, but this is to keep happening so that it's never forgotten, so that it doesn't die out after a couple of generations. We stop, don't we, to remember sometimes. So, for example, in, in November, we often stop, don't we, for two minutes to remember those who gave their lives, who sacrificed their lives so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy today. Here they are remembering. But it's a bit more than actually just remembering. There's a sense in which they're taking part in it. It's almost like they're reenacting it. They're they're taking part in it. And as they take part in it, it physically reminds them of that night when they had to eat unleavened bread because they were in such a rush to get out the door and to escape from Egypt. It was to remind them in a very real, a very physical way of what God had done for them. And they're then to pass it on to their children. They're to tell them what it's all about. This feast, they're to explain what it's all about. So this is verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day, Moses says to the people, he says, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. I love how personal that is. Moses says, tell them, it's what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Now, I doubt many of you will remember this, but if you've got a very good memory and you were here a few months ago, you may remember that I spoke on Psalm 78 and the title of that message was Pass It On. And it's, that psalm is all about passing the, the, the news of God, the, the, the stories of God onto the next generation. And we thought in that message about the fact that we need to do that today. We need to keep passing on. This is why we do Thrive. This is why we do Rooted. This is why we do the youth work. This is why you tell your children, because it's so important. Psalm 78 says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We're going to tell our children about God and what he's done. In our first song this morning, I don't know whether you picked it up, but the, the, the very last couple of lines, tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord to children's children and forevermore. So they're to tell their children and they're to tell their children and they're to tell their children and so on. And it's to go down the generations. And the Passover was to be this big part of the story of what they were to tell their children because it was such a big event.
And then we get to Jesus' day, thousands of years later. But because it's been passed on from generation to generation, in Jesus' day, they're still keeping the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Luke tells us about it in his Gospel. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. So Jesus is about to eat the Passover. But this Passover meal is going to be unlike anything the disciples have experienced. Because they have the Passover meal. And then what does Jesus do? He takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says this, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat it in remembrance of me. And then Jesus takes the wine and he says, drink this. This is my blood which is the new covenant. What is Jesus doing here? Well, essentially he's replacing the lamb that was all part of the Passover that they had to sacrifice He's replacing it with himself. And he's saying, from now on, you need to remember that I am the lamb. And the disciples didn't really know at all what Jesus was going on about here. But yet, straight after this, Jesus goes out, and what does he do? He gives himself up. He gives up his life. And he's crucified on the cross. You know, the lambs in the Old Testament were great. On the night of the Passover, the lambs saved the firstborn. They saved the Israelites from captivity. They freed them. But you know, they had to do the Passover every single year because the lamb was just a symbol. And as much as the lamb freed them from slavery in Egypt, it didn't deal with their sin. It didn't ultimately free them from death. They all still died in the future. But now the true Lamb of God has come, Jesus. He is the the true Lamb that can take away sin, that can take away the power of death forever. And so we don't need to make sacrifices now because he is the ultimate sacrifice. And as we eat the the bread and the wine in communion, It's not just to to help us remember. It's as if we take part in it. It's as if we take in Christ. It's as if we're joined together in Jesus' death. And then we're joined in his resurrection. And Jesus says, do this in remember of me. When we take communion as a church, what we're doing is we're remembering him. And we're taking part as a church together with his death and resurrection. So now we have a feast to remember. We too can feast to remember. We don't have to sacrifice a lamb each time, praise God. We don't have to have seven days of eating unleavened bread. But as church members, once a month, we gather here on a Sunday afternoon to have communion, to remember the death of Jesus. They celebrated freedom from slavery. We get to celebrate freedom from sin, freedom from the power of death, true life given to us. And maybe there have been times when children have been outside sort of peering in, wondering what's going on. Or maybe, uh, maybe you've, you've gone to leave to a communion service in a Sunday afternoon and your, your kids say, where are you going? Well, you can say to them, similar to what Moses said to the people, you can say it's because of what the Lord did for me when he saved me and gave me life. That's, that's why I'm going. It's because of what the Lord did for me when he saved me and gave me life. You know, if, if Jesus has saved you, we can have this feast to remember what he's done for us. So feast to remember, and that should lead us then to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Secondly, consecrate yourself to the Lord. 
This is what it says in the, in the very first verse of Exodus 13. The Lord says to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Well, we don't use the word consecrate very often, do we? But to consecrate something to God basically means to, to give it to God or to set it apart for God or to dedicate it to God. Now, athletes and top-level sports people are dedicated to their sport, aren't they? That They give their life to it. It dictates how they live their life. Some of them sadly are sort of forced to do it by their parents but many of them have this kind of inbuilt drive in them that, that drives them towards success that drives them towards this dedication so if they go to a party they, they might go to a party but they'll make sure that they're back by 10 p.m and neatly tucked into bed so that they can get a nice night's sleep ready for their training or their event the next day or, or they're with some friends and their friends will get a takeaway but they don't get that. Instead, they have a meal that's nutritionally perfect for their body to fuel them for whatever they do. Or when others are having a lie-in, they've already spe spent at least an hour in the gym or in the swimming pool training, working hard. Because what they're doing is dedicating their life to their sport. In a sense, they're kind of set apart for their, their sport. Well, in Exodus 13, God tells Moses that the firstborns of all the families, should be dedicated not to sport, but to him. They should be set apart for him. It won't be sport that dictates how they live, but God and what God wants. In verse 12, it says, You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. You see, God had saved the Israelites out from Egypt, from slavery. And the way he had done it is by rescuing the firstborn that's how he rescued all the people and what he had done is he had rescued them and he had made them his he had as if it were bought them made them his own and so now he says so now I want you to live for me because I've bought you I want you to give your lives to me in response now we don't know all the details um, it's not particularly clear exactly what it meant that the firstborn was to be consecrated to God. It may be that they were some form of early priest. But certainly we do know that there was this sense in which they, they had to give their lives to the service of God, first and foremost, above anything else. Some of you might think of Hannah in the Old Testament. Do you remember what she does with Samuel? Eventually God gifts her a son after her, her desperate prayer. And what does she do? She, she gives him to God gives him to the temple. She essentially consecrates him to God. And as part of the consecration ceremony, when they were born, they had to sacrifice a lamb. Or if they were too poor, then they could sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And it was this picture that God had rescued them from slavery by the lamb. But the problem is, is the people kept sinning. They kept failing they kept needing a sacrifice for their sins. And so it's almost like it was a reminder to every new generation that the only reason that they could live and enjoy God's wonderful blessings is by the sacrifice of the lamb. So that every generation would be reminded, yeah, we have life because of the sacrifice of the lamb. It's a constant picture to them that God had given them a substitute so that they could live. And so they, they owed God's life, uh, their life, sorry, to God because he had saved them. And you know, there's a, very, uh, there's a very famous person in the Bible that is consecrated to God. It's in a very well-known chapter of the Bible. Um, we looked at it over the Christmas time, but they're verses that often get skipped over. Thousands of years after Moses died, we find about a little baby being born in Luke chapter 2 a little baby called Jesus. And we don't often look at these verses, but this is in Luke chapter 2. We've had like, all the shepherds and everything. And then look at what it says. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, 
They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first, op- every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You see that? So what they're doing with Jesus here is what they, uh, Moses told them they had to do back in Exodus. And here they do it, and presumably they give uh, turtle doves and two young pigeons because they're poor. Mary and Joseph would have been poor. And so Jesus is, is given to God the Father by his mum and dad, as it were. And, and his life, I think you'd agree, is, is the ultimate example of being consecrated to God. He lives the ultimate life of service to God. Everything he does is not about what he wants, but what the Father wants. Not your will, uh, sorry, not my will, but yours be done, he says. Everything in his life is, what does God want me to do, even if I really don't want to do it? His life is complete service to God. And so Jesus was consecrated as Mary's firstborn. But we're also told that he was the, he's the firstborn of God. And, and elsewhere in the Bible, it describes him as the firstborn of all creation. So, so he is the, the firstborn of God. But with, with God, there is no lamb replacement. There is no lamb that, that takes his place because he is the lamb. He is the firstborn who does die to save all the other firstborns. He dies undeservedly so, and he becomes our lamb, the ultimate lamb that can take away our sins once and for all. This is what Romans 8 verse 32 says, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Jesus sacrificed his own life so that we could be set free. So he's given us his son, God has given us his son. So therefore, just like with the the firstborn, of the Israelites, we owe him our life. We owe him our life. God calls us to to consecrate, to dedicate, to set apart our life for him. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, remember, you are not your own, for you were brought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If you're a Christian, Paul says, you're not your own anymore. You've been brought with a price, the blood of Jesus. So, glorify God in your body. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you've been brought by God. He's paid for you with his blood, so we belong to him. And so we're to give God our life. We're to live for him. In the same way that Jesus did. We're to to dedicate our life to him, to what he wants. Just in the same way that an athlete's life is dedicated by the sport they're in and by by the goals that they have for themselves. And it it impacts every area of their life. That's what it should be like with us. I don't know whether you noticed this. In the third song we sang, this was the, the prayer in one of the verses. Let every effort of my life Display the matchless worth of Christ. Make me a living sacrifice. Be glorified today. And then the final song that we're we're going to sing it in a few moments, God willing, helps us think through this a bit more. And really it's a a request to God. In the light of everything that, that God's done for us, it's a request to God. And I want to ask you, is this what you want? As I go through it, I want you to think, is, it, is this what I want? Can I say this? Is this something I'm willing to say to God? So the song says, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Is that what you want? For your life to be given to God? This is what the songwriter wants. Take my hands Use them to help others because they are so motivated by your love for us that I just want to use my hands to help other people. Take my feet. 
Use them to, to, to go to places where you want me to go, not just where I want to go, but where you want me to go so that I can serve you, so that I can bless others, so that I can bring glory to your name. Use my voice. Help me to, to sing to you. Maybe you're not a great singer like me, but God loves it when we sing, when we worship him. Take my voice. Help me to sing for you, God. Take my lips. Help me to, to speak of you. Help me to tell people about you, the, the glorious things you've done. Use my silver and my gold, all my money, my possessions. There's a line in it that says, not a mite would I withhold. Whew. It's a challenge, isn't it? Maybe some of us need to pray that if we, if we don't feel that. Not a mite would I withhold. You know, we need to be so thankful that God didn't hold anything back when he gave us his son. He gave us everything. But it's a challenge when it comes back to, to giving him everything. But again, the songwriter is so in love with God because of what God's done for them. Use my money. Use my possessions. You can have it, Lord. Take my intellect. Use my learning. My cleverness. Use it for you, Lord. Not just for me, not just to make me money, not just to make me seem clever, but use it for your kingdom, God. Take my will and my desires. Transform me, God, so that even what I want is what you want. So that they're aligned, so that it's not just me going after what I want all the time. Transform me so that you've got my will, you've got my desire, you've got my heart. Take my love. Take the things I love, make them what you love. Help me to love you, help me to love what you love, God. Take everything about me. If you know that Jesus died for you this morning, are you living for him? Is it fair to say your life is consecrated to him? Would others say that about your life if, they, if, if we asked them? It's a challenge, isn't it? Don't know about you, but as, as I read some of these verses, I think, how far short do we fall? We're constantly reminded, aren't we, as, as we try to live for God, that we need forgiveness all the time. We, we fail so much to, to live up to God's standards. So often things are about us and what we want. We need his forgiveness and praise God that he is the Passover lamb so that we can have forgiveness. But God calls us to live for him. And you know what? He also gives us the power to do that. And if we're struggling, we need to pray that God will give us the power to live for him, to obey him, to give our lives for him. So let's pray that we would be a church that remembers not just the Passover, but what it points to, Jesus, the ultimate lamb, that we'd remember it daily, but also We'd remember what God has done for us and that would impact our lives so that tomorrow, Monday morning, when you go back to work, when you go and visit that friend, when you go out and do a bit of shopping, whatever you're up to tomorrow, maybe you're stuck at home, whatever you're doing, that you would give your life to him because he has given his life for us. Well, I just want to give just a, a few moments just to think about what might it look like in your life if you were to consecrate your life to God? What might it look like to give your life to God? And then we'll sing. Well, let's sing. You know uh, quite a bit about the last hymn already because I've mentioned quite a bit of it. Um, wonderful if you can pray this or sing this. If you can't, let's pray that God would help us to be able to say it. So let's stand and sing together.
pray to close. Lord God, we thank you so much that this has been remembered from generation to generation. And so that now in 2024, Lord, we can still hear about it, we can still know about it, and we can still remember it. And Lord, I thank you that we have something greater than the Passover to remember. We have what it was all pointing to, Jesus, the true Lamb. And Lord, I pray that that would have an impact on our life. Lord, that as you have given us everything you had, uh, Lord, that we would give everything back to you, for you deserve it. Uh, Lord, we remember what it says in Romans 12, that we are urged in view of God's mercy to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. And Lord, I pray that, that we would do that and that your name would be lifted up and glorified amongst us. And Lord, do be with us as we go our separate ways. Lord, I pray that you would keep us and uh, help us. And Lord, I pray that your name would be lifted up, not just today, but through the rest of the week in your name. Amen.